interesting happen in, oh, say, Russia last week? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 25, Overall Episode 148 of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. This is where we talk about writing spies and writing about spies. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. So, events in Russia last week were straight out of the spy master's playbook and offered plenty of fodder for espionage writers everywhere, especially fiction writers. Sometimes reality is far more interesting than fiction. First of all, the Wagner Group, or you would pronounce it in Russian, Wagner, could really be straight out of fiction. They're an interesting construct. I hadn't studied them much until last week, mainly because the Wagner Group doesn't fit into the timeline of what I'm currently working on in my espionage fiction. It might in the future, who knows. So I really haven't studied Wagner in depth, only maybe a couple, three hours worth of clicking on articles and delving into the internet. So basically, the Wagner group is a private army. One however, funded by a sovereign government, the Russian Federation, which they finally admitted to last week, as a matter of fact. Russia already has a sizable army, so why would it fund a private one? Well, that trope of espionage everywhere, plausible deniability on a number of fronts. So as Putin has pushed Russia onto the world stage as a perceived, in his mind, world power, one of his tactics is to intervene in armed conflicts around the world, places where, in particular, the United States doesn't find it important enough or necessary enough or politically expedient enough to intervene. Now, the current Russian army, in terms of strength and preparedness, is nowhere near what it became in World War II, at the end of World War II, otherwise known as the Great Patriotic War. Then, after the war, it was a feared army particularly among capitalist countries. Even then, though, in terms of its equipment, its officer corps, and the training of its rank-and-file troops, 
it was actually pretty far behind the West. Number of reasons for that. Casualties in World War II, Stalin's purges in the 1930s, and it was going to take the Russian army or the Soviet army then a while to catch up to what it could be as a mover and shaker on the world stage. So when Putin sent Russian troops into Syria and into several countries in Africa where skirmishes were happening, the Russian army racked up some pretty significant casualties, which, as was typical of the former Soviet Union, the government tried to keep those numbers from the populace, tried to downplay them. Indeed, during the 1980s Afghan war, officially, there were almost as many deaths from so-called training accidents than soldiers killed by the Mujahideen. In truth, the Mujahideen had killed far more than the Russian government at the time wanted to admit. It was only after the fall of the Soviet Union did the true nature of Soviet losses in Afghanistan come out, and the populace was furious. So, in present day, as casualties stacked up in Syria and in Africa, they too had to be disguised or Putin would lose popular support. Hence, the Wagner Group, founded by a former GRU officer named Dmitry Utkin, and businessman, you can't see me, but I'm making air quotes, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who's been in the news the past week. Prigozhin, as a wealthy oligarch, could afford to arm, equip, and train these mercenaries much better than the Russian army. And he had an almost unlimited source of manpower. The Wagner Group recruited heavily in former Soviet states, uh, particularly in the Balkans, in Serbia. But even then, they couldn't make the numbers they needed as they began to dispatch themselves to various hotspots around the world. So, against Russian law, which says that prisoners cannot be taken out of prison and used in the army, they began to recruit in Russian prisons. Now, Russian prisons, I'm sure you've seen movies depicting them in the movies, get it pretty good but never quite go far enough, are notoriously brutal places. So when Wagner recruiters came calling and offered reduction of sentences plus a really good salary to serve in this private army, it had no problem meeting its recruitment numbers. And it got around the law that said that Russian prisoners couldn't be conscripted into the army for a commutation of a sentence by saying, well, this isn't the Russian army, they're volunteering to join this group. Private armies can be used to hide 
the number of casualties a regular army is accruing. But then another benefit, more air quotes around benefit, of a private army for a government like Russia is that private army doesn't have to go by established rules of war that other sovereign nations follow, like taking care of prisoners of war, keeping civilians out of the conflict, and so forth. So even back during the 2014-2015 Russian invasion of Donbass in Ukraine, Wagner was accused then of war crimes, of killing citizens and of mistreating prisoners that they took. And the same is now true for the current war in Ukraine. Wherever Wagner Group units have been, there have been rumors and now some proof of mass executions of civilians and horrific treatment of POWs. So apparently the brutality these recruits learned in the Russian prison system served them well and helped them spread terror among civilians, which is the point of an invasion, obviously. As of last year, the Wagner Group was estimated to be a force of at least 50,000 men scattered again in a few places in Africa and in Ukraine and Syria. One of its founders, this Dmitry Utkin, is a veteran, actually I need to say was, I'll get to that in a minute, was a veteran of the Chechen Wars and was the leader of a Spetsnaz GRU unit. Spetsnaz me being what the Russian special forces are called. While he was in that unit, his call sign was Wagner. So hence, when he created this private army, he called it the Wagner Group. Wagner Group. Utkin is also reported to be a neo-Nazi and a white supremacist, given his ties to the ultra-nationalist and far-right Russian imperial movement. And he apparently has numerous Nazi tattoos. Utkin allegedly chose Wagner as his call sign in Chechnya in honor of Richard Wagner, whose music Hitler loved. Maybe another little bit of proof. It's also alleged that the private military company Blackwater, based in the U.S. and about as right-wing as you can get, offered to assist Wagner in its combat operations in Africa. Again, with my cursory research, I couldn't determine if that ever actually happened. So Prigozhin was sometimes referred to as Putin's chef because one of his aspects of his business enterprises are catering services, catering companies that hosted dinners for Putin when he had foreign dignitaries come to Moscow. Indeed, Prigozhin wouldn't acknowledge that he was the main funder of Wagner until last year. He 
said, I'm a businessman. I'm not involved in this. So Utkin, likely because he brought too much attention to himself, stepped away from Wagner and essentially disappeared. Speculation was that he was out of favor with Putin, and we know the outcome of that. I don't know if he's dead. Again, I only did a few minutes research. I couldn't really find out if he was or not, but that's what a lot of people believe. Until last week, Wagner had been under the exclusive management of Prigozhin for a number of years. One of Prigozhin's other more lucrative businesses that brought in money for him to use with the Wagner Group were troll farms, which we found out about during the 2016 election when they spread disinformation in the U.S. for that election and during the Brexit vote in England. Because of that, Prigozhin has been sanctioned by the U.S. Department of the Treasury for his election interference. Again, I've only scratched the surface of Wagner. I may look more into it if I decide that it needs to play a part in anything that I'm writing. But what we know of its inner workings is pretty sketchy, except that its recruits are trained in a Russian Ministry of Defense facility. So even though the Russian government was denying any connection to the Wagner group, simply saying, oh, they're volunteers, we have no control of them, we don't support them, we have nothing to do with them. Then last year, Prigozhin, who spent a lot of time with the Wagner group in Ukraine, began to complain about how the Russian generals were running the war in Ukraine, essentially blaming them for the fact that the proposed three-day war had stretched into 400-plus days. Because those generals had been handpicked for their loyalty to Putin, this didn't sit well with the Russian leader. And then media reports of Wagner's horrific treatment of civilians and captured Ukrainian soldiers also began to blow back on Putin. Prigozhin next began to disparage the Russian Minister of Defense, General Sergei Shoigu, another Putin loyalist. Prigozhin was telling Putin, you know, he's no friend of yours. He's secretly working behind your back. So investigations within and outside Russia of the Wagner Group highlighted the fact that, per Russian law, private military companies were illegal and that Wagner's organization, recruitment, training, and funding went far beyond Putin's declaration that they were merely volunteers. Last month, Prigozhin, upset with what he claimed were Tens of thousands of Wagner casualties in Ukraine went public with his accusations against the Ministry of Defense. He said, They came here as volunteers and are dying, so you can sit like fat cats in your luxury offices. 
Ouch. The Russian government tried to placate Prigozhin by giving members of the Wagner group who had participated in the invasion of Ukraine status as Russian military veterans. But then Prigozhin became, well, you might say ungrateful and said publicly that the invasion of Ukraine was based on lies. Last week, Prigozhin alleged that Russian regular forces were responsible for an airstrike on a unit of Wagner personnel. In response, Prigozhin withdrew the Wagner group from Ukraine and headed them toward Moscow. For a couple of days, and especially when Wagner took over Rostov-on-Don with hardly a shot, it looked as if Wagner might be headed to Moscow to overthrow Putin. That was going to be unlikely. The Wagner group is nowhere near as large as the regular Russian army. And their spetsnaz, their special forces, are trained highly, not quite as good as U.S. or British special forces, but they're much more organized and much more professional army than Wagner is. So I personally don't think that would have gotten anywhere. Lots of people in the West cheered at that, but it's always better to deal with the devil you know, Putin, than the devil you don't, Prigozhin, who is no angel himself. While this was happening, this rush toward Moscow, the Russian FSB, which is roughly equivalent to the U.S. FBI, filed charges against Prigozhin for treason and headed out to arrest him. Then Prigozhin abruptly stopped his advance turned his army around, and indicated he didn't want to shed blood. Oh, the irony. Now, a lot of people, myself included, thought that it, very quickly, Prigozhin would meet with the same end as other Putin enemies, a heart attack, a poisoning, or falling from a six-story window. Instead, a Putin ally, Alexander Lukashenko, president of Belarus, negotiated a deal. Whether he did that on his own or at Putin's instructions, I don't know yet. I'm sure the intelligence community knows, but I don't know. I think it would be likely that Lukashenko would do that on Putin's request, not on his own. So the deal he negotiated was that the Wagner group would be folded into the regular Russian army, but that no legal action would be taken against them for marching toward Moscow. Though in any army, there are other ways of exacting punishment. Prigozhin got to go into exile in Belarus, also with no charges against him. Still, 
I think his days are numbered. And of course, Russia lovers here in the U.S. are trying to push that this was a CIA plot against their hero, autocrat Putin. Not at all likely. Mainly, the U.S. wouldn't have anything to gain from it. Prigozhin wouldn't work for a government anyway that had sanctioned him and cut off a lot of his income. However, this escapade did show that Putin isn't the sterling leader many think he is. As a result of Prigozhin's revelations, he had to admit, Putin had to admit, Russia was funding and supporting Wagner all along. That may not be enough to run Putin out of office, but it certainly shows a rusty break in his fragile armor. But don't look upon the members of the Wagner group as heroes. They and Prigozhin and Putin are war criminals responsible for atrocities against civilians and POWs in Ukraine. If anything, use them as an example that private armies are never a good idea. And now it's commercial time. Today, June 29th, 2023, is the final day, the last day, you can get free ebooks of my debut novel, A War of Deception, and its mini sequel, A Face in the Crowd. I've started calling A War of Deception the little novel that could. Yesterday, the number of downloads this month pushed it to number three in the espionage thriller bestseller list on Amazon. So, Thank you for that. Earlier in the year, it made it to number two, and this week it made it to number three. I don't know quite what I have to do to get it to number one, but hopefully I can figure that out. I'll put the links for both of those books in the description of this episode, and you have until midnight Pacific time to get your free downloads. You've also got today and tomorrow, June 29th and June 30th, to enter to win a free short story based on my current series, Meeting the Enemy. The story, It's in the Blood, is adapted from a deleted scene in Revenge, book two of Meeting the Enemy. I'll also put that link to enter the giveaway in this episode description. Next month's ebooks on sale will be all four books from my first series, A Perfect Hatred, plus the consolidated ebook of the Associated Reader Magnets, which is titled Quintet. You'll hear more about that next week. And commercial over. I think you can see from my brief overview of recent events that there's a lot of inspiration from the Wagner Group and Prigozhin and Putin for some spy fiction. Again, as I said, I don't know that I'm going to write anything about it yet, but 
you know, who knows? For right now, let's focus on history from 20 years ago with a reading from Treachery, which came out last Saturday, book three of my 9-11 series, Meeting the Enemy. Let me set this reading up a bit. My Fisher, in her cover as Catherine Burke, CIA Chief of Staff, is meeting off-site with her executive assistant, Zelma Nisbet, a former CIA case officer turned administrative. Treachery, Chapter 47 My asked Zelma, Do you know Winston Everett? Oh, enough small talk then, said Zelma. I'm not good at it. Oh, on the contrary, Miss Burke, I learned all sorts of trivia about Starbucks. Burke smiled. Oh, by the way, that's not a mermaid in the logo. It's a siren. Zelma returned the smile. Yes, I know Mr. Everett. Decent case officer, no field experience, but he's competent. He's my asset in the White House. You turned him. He turned himself, remembered his ethics somewhere along the line. Right now, he's been meeting me and passing along information verbally. He's become nervous. Oh, understandable. You're too well known in the White House. Seeing you in the area would be suspicious. And I'm now persona non grata there. Um, yes, I processed the paperwork for your suspension. Burke smiled once more and said, Well, I needed a break. The plus is, Boyd won't be taking me to any White House briefings for a while. What precisely did you do? All the paperwork said was gross insubordination to a senior official. Oh, I called Vice President Stodden a draft dodger to his face. That's far milder than I would have expected from you. Well, yes, I'd have much rather addressed him as ten stone of shite in a five-stone bag, but I'd already embarrassed Boyd enough. So, Mr. Everett, I'm going to have him mix it up between straight dead drops and a few live drop meetings, but I want the drops cleared and the meets with someone I trust. I don't do field work of any kind anymore. None at all. Burke leaned back in her chair. You know, that East German colonel was a long time ago, and it wasn't your fault. Older James burned him. I didn't know that at the time, and Ames's treason doesn't change the fact I don't want anyone's life in my hands again. Burke leaned forward. Don't you think it's time to get over it? Zelma leaned toward Burke. Will you get over not killing John Thomas Carroll before he blew up a packed federal building with a daycare center in it? I have thick skin, Ms. Nisbet, but no, I won't ever get over that. It doesn't, however, color my work. Of course, you could order me to do it. Burke leaned back again. Her eyes narrowed at Zelma. I'd prefer not to. 
you'd rather take the intellectual approach and convince me it's ethically and morally my duty to take this on? Burke shrugged and drank coffee. Miss Burke, I know the real reason you're at the company. I also know it's something of a training arena for you. You will face situations when you won't have the time to bargain with someone to use your razor-sharp mind and your droll wit to convince someone to do something. You will have to issue the order and live with the consequences. Zelma studied the bland face. My Fisher had learned well from her training officer. The lack of expression, the giving away of no emotion, was pure Alexei Bukharin. Only the slight steeliness in the eyes betrayed that Burke, Fisher, either or both, was not happy with Zelma's directness. Burke drained her coffee cup, stood, and zipped her jacket. Consider the order given, she said, and left. She tossed the empty cup in a trash can before she exited. Okay, that's enough for today. Delving into current Russian events can be exhausting because they're changing so quickly. But I urge you to do some research on private armies, not just the Wagner Group, but Blackwater and others around the world. They'll scare the bejesus out of you. Now, this weekend, there's a heat wave plus more Canadian wildfire smoke headed my way. But I'm hoping for some outdoor time. And of course, you know, wherever I am, I'll certainly, especially now, be keeping an eye out for spies. The proceeding has been a production of Unexpected Paths Media, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Join us next week for a new episode of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast and, you know it, Slava Ukraini. <laughs>